0: A speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall
1: buildings at a single bound. Look. Sky, it's a bird,
0: it's a plane. It's Ron and Anian. What's going on with you this week? How is your car? How is your week? Let's talk about it. Did it give you any trouble? Did it turn on a check engine light? Did it not do what it was supposed to do, or is it still doing that same old thing and you just don't like it? The car doctor. We've got a pedal inside the car, there are some wires that go out to the throttle body, which sort of looks like a carburetor turned sideways, and it's got a throttle plate in it. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian. The car doctor so Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to. For their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, I'm Batman. Here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ronnie Naney, the car doctor here at 855-560-9900. The car doctor's 24-7 phone number, 855-560-9900. I am Ron and Annie and the car doctor Have been for a very long time um, Ever since they nominated me for it And uh, put me on it Uh, Here I am, here I sit each and every week Talking to you about your car and its problem Because it's me and you for the next two hours Talking about cars, their problems, their ups, their downs And the things we like or dislike So uh, keep that in mind, I'm here for you And I'll do whatever it is you need me to do To help solve your car and its problem We had some problems in the shop this week It was, um, you know I've said this before and I really believe it That I, I... I think the parts problem is getting worse, and I, I think to a large degree, it's it's almost a matter of national security. It, it really is, because when we can't get parts for cars, it's going to be too expensive and too impractical to bring back the horse. Um, uh, you know, I just I just don't see it. <sighs> we had a Chevy Cruze. It was Cruze Week this week at the shop. I'm not sure why, but, you know, they, they come in threes. And we had three Chevy cruises, each with different problems, all centered around the cooling system. The first one came in. It was from another shop. They had recently done a water pump and thermostat replacement using good parts, as I call it, um, right to the source, right to General Motors, right out of GM. And the vehicle had an intermittent overheating fault, and it was setting a fault code for the heater control circuit of the thermostat. Yeah, they... You know, they, they've realized thermostats are like teenagers. Sometimes you can't get them out of bed in the morning on a cold winter's day without heating them up, so they, they electrically charge the thermostats to make them work faster and do different things. And it was setting a fault code for it. And I couldn't duplicate the condition, but there was no denying it. When I went through the chart and tested the thermostat, it did fail with a an out-of-range resistance value, and I knew the heater circuit was at fault, and I had to replace the stat. The question is, you know, we we look at the manufacturers, you know, there's a there's a there's a hierarchy in auto repair in terms of parts. There's you know, there's the holy grail, the the manufacturer, then there's the the automotive aftermarket with a name brand part, and then there's, you know, that white box part that that, that comes from somewhere other than well, it comes from somewhere, we're just not sure where. And you know, you, you just you know, you, you always think to yourself, well, you know, where does the customer want to price this? How does the customer want to do this? Do they do they want the best? Do they want the O.E part? Do they want the aftermarket part? Do they want the white box part? And this was clearly this was a GM GM part number Delco piece, you know, stamped right on it. This was this was the holy grail. This was a, supposed to be a good thermostat of course. It was new and you know, what does new mean? Never ever worked. And it, you know, we 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 know that. And you know, you start to look around. Well, it's no stranger what I think of Motorrad, right? I've been I've been using Motorrad caps and thermostats, and we talk about them here on the show. And uh, you know, we, we know their quality, and you know, we've said for years that they're OEM level, and they're they're manufacturing now more and more for the OEMs. So we did what I normally would do. I put a I put a Motorrad stat in it, and I fixed the car, and that one was done and down the road. Then we had a Chevy Cruise that had a plastic. Coolant, you know, they all have old plastic overheat uh, coolant bottles the recovery bottles. We went to check the coolant level because it was out of coolant that had a leak in, in the water pump, which we had to do also. Cruisers have water pump problems, by the way, in case you don't know. And we went to take the radiator cap off, and the top of the cap came off in my hand, and the bottom of the cap stayed stuck in the bottle. So the high-quality plastic part just didn't want to be plastic anymore. It wanted to be two pieces instead of one. So we had to put a water pump and a coolant overflow bottle in it. Again, high-quality parts. Had to do another Chevy Cruze that did a water pump. And this particular model year, 2011, Uh, doing some reading i didn't have to actually do it we ended up sending it back to the owner to send back to the manufacturer because gm has extended the warranty on certain model year cruises to 10 year one hundred fifty thousand miles so you should check and see if your car needs a water pump if it's a cruise maybe it maybe you don't have to pay for it and the point becomes you know parts are just so darn critical using good stuff you know, poor quality, well, I shouldn't say lesser quality stuff, you almost don't know what to use anymore. And I think the point becomes that I want you to try and understand, if you're going to a good repair shop, use their expertise, ask them. Don't ask them, hey, how much? Ask them, hey, how long? What works? What do you know to do this particular job? What part do you find to work the best? Because I've got to tell you, after what I've seen with thermostats, especially this weekend and over the long haul, I'm not such a big fan of Delco in that application anymore, and I'll continue to use my Motor Red, um, you know, just because I, I, I know that they work. So uh, just be mindful of that and uh, take it from there. Just just parts are a problem, and they're going to continue to be. Let's get on the phones, and let's go to Kathy in Texas. Kathy, you're on with the car doctor. How can I help? Hi. Um, I,
2: I sent you an email and, um and you replied to me and told me to call you, so that's what I'm doing. I'm from the Austin, Texas area, and uh, I have a 2015 Toyota Sienna that recently um, I discovered blew the engine at 44,000 miles and had it towed to the Toyota dealership, and they acknowledged that initially that it was a powertrain warranty issue, and until I said... Um, I had uh, had my oil changed in February the 16th at Walmart, and um, then they said, "Well, you know, we we need to do some further investigation." And um, lo and behold, like the next day, they informed me that um, it was obviously due to an overfill because there was uh, two. There was still like a quart of oil. Still in the engine, right? And it uh, must must be due to overfill. And um, unfortunately, then it would not be a powertrain warranty uh, issue that I would have to file a claim with Walmart.
0: Okay, let me let me ask you something, Kath. How um okay how, how many how many miles do you think it went between the time the oil was changed and the engine failed?
2: Four hundred and seventeen, to be exact.
0: All right. So four hundred seventeen miles later, the engine blew. And they're basing yeah. it—they're basing it on it's Walmart's fault because the engine had one quart of oil in it.
2: Still in it, yes. <clears throat>
0: well, but that doesn't make any sense. Are they saying that they've seen engine failures like this before, and the engine has absolutely no oil in it?
2: Right. I have no idea. That, they're not really telling me anything other than it's not their fault. Well, I, you know... See, they don't have to prove anything. I don't get that.
0: Yeah, and I don't get that either. And, you know, as as a mechanic, you know, looking at it, I would sit there, the first thing I would do is how much oil was in the engine? It's got a quart of oil in it? Good. That means there was something in it. So then my next question is going to be, you know, what does the oil filter look like? If they came back and said, hey, the oil filter's collapsed, the oil filter's not installed properly, the oil filter is, is damaged upon install, I could buy it. But it doesn't make any sense. Now, on the other hand, all right, and let me be clear, some of this responsibility comes back to Walmart and in the sense that I'll say it like this. The Magnuson-Moss Warranty Act of 1976 states, and this isn't just for automobiles. This is across consumer products across the board, that you don't necessarily have to go to a dealer, whether it be automobile, appliance, or anything else that you can think of, for service and maintenance. As long as the repairs and the parts being used are the same like kind, quality, etc., of the existing component. So in other words, if Walmart used an oil filter that was equivalent to whatever Toyota would put in the car... That's fine. All right? If 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 Toyota can sit there and say, "Hey, we've got un- unequivocal proof that when the engine blows, there's always a quart of oil or there's less than a quart of oil in the car." Fine. Show it to me. Show me where that's documented. But just saying, "Well, it was oh, a, okay. it was it was a, it was over full by a quart" doesn't prove anything to me. It t- it proves to me they're looking for a way out. I don't right. I, I don't buy it. I really don't buy it. And you know, the issue is over full by a quart, you know, if they said to me, hey, we saw a bent connecting rod, if we saw evidence of hydrostatic lock, meaning we we were trying to compress liquid where we couldn't, but then I don't know that the engine would last four hundred miles it would go that far. Look, I'm not saying it's not Walmart's fault, and I'm not saying it is Walmart's fault. All right, And I'm not saying Toyota's responsible. What I'm saying is you need a more definitive answer. What I would do is I would talk to your insurance company just for the heck of it. All right, I would look to see does your insurance company have any sort of comprehensive coverage that if the engine suffers mechanical failure, this has to go to an independent mechanical review board of some type. And the only way to get it there is you may have to make a small claims against Walmart and get them involved, and then a small claims in court against Toyota and get their lawyers involved. Unfortunately, it's going to get legal, and in the meantime, you're the one that's going to suffer. So it's a matter of who's going to make you the happiest, the fastest, and I get it. All right? But both of those companies, understand this, both of those companies have insurance policies to protect themselves against something like this, and the sooner you make them aware of it, and get them involved, the sooner it's going to come to a conclusion. Because I know this, if it happened at the shop, and it never has knock wood, but it would go to insurance, and the insurance would put it in front of a mechanical review board, and they'd come back to us with a much better answer than it was overfull by a quart, and that's why the engine failed, because I don't buy that. Do that. If you have any problems, email me. We'll talk again. I'm glad to help you where I can, Kathy, and I appreciate you calling in. I'm Ron Annie in The Car Doctor. It's me and you on the phone. I'll be back right after this.
3: The best in car advice. Give Ron a call eight five
0: five five six zero nine nine zero zero. Now back to Ron. Frank in Delaware, you're up next with the Car Doctor. What's going on here?
1: Well, good afternoon,
0: Ron. Yes, sir. Thank you.
1: Uh, I um uh, I I have a two thousand two Ford Ranger uh, extended cab, and I've always uh, I bought it in two thousand three. It was a used vehicle, right? And I really liked it. It was my first truck, and I, I think I've always had a vibration in the engine. And my mechanic I've trusted for over 25 years who worked for Ford uh, here locally called it a flutter. And I don't know. I, they were telling me, the dealer was telling me that it was something in the tires, the wheels. They were having problems. And, of course, over time, I just kept the thing. And I was just curious about it. I just recently got connected with your show here over the last month and i had two questions and one about the engine and one about the transmission sure. i don't know if you know of any why why in 2002 and why they would did it was there something uh, systematically wrong with some of the engines back Wh- then Wh-
0: which engine is this frank the 40 the 30 the four cylinder
1: uh it's the smaller 6
0: so it's the 30 it's 30 right the 30 i've got to tell you i've got a 30 in my 97 ranger and I've seen, th- and obviously it's five years apart from yours, and I've seen 3 O's and a lot of Tauruses, and they always ran quite well. I-, I never really noticed a flutter or a shake. Now, when you say a flutter in the way the engine runs, is it that you can watch the engine and it shakes, or you feel a vibration in the steering wheel and the seat of your pants?
1: No, I've uh, never really looked at it. You can feel it shaking sometimes uh, uh, at a light, uh, but... It shakes the seat, uh, the passenger seat, I mean, my my back. I mean, I love the truck because I usually use it. I only use it m- most of the time for utility purposes. Right. And But I'm not really a truck man, and I've always liked it. It, it just it looks good, and uh, I've just kept it over the years.
0: No dashboard warning lights on, no check engine light.
1: No, nothing. And okay. he just described it as a flutter. He said the engine is solid. It's only got one hundred five thousand miles on yeah. it, but it's been doing it from day one. And I, like I said, I thought it was always the uh, an issue with the tires, and then the warranty ran out, and uh, I just kept the thing.
0: Well, when you say the tires, why you're saying you think it's the tires, but the problem happens while you're sitting at a traffic light?
1: No, 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 no. They kept telling me. The dealer kept telling me. That it was the tires that Ford had issues on the Mustang and other some other vehicles with tire issues. Right. And of course, I would get the tires balanced and get them balanced. That was before the road force balancing, and then I got the road force balancing, and it's still, uh, it's still shake. Right, but
0: but is this a shake while you're driving down the road or a shake while you're sitting at a traffic light?
1: More driving down the road. Okay. Uh,
0: so here, let's let's, down the road. let's let's cut to the chase. Is this a stick or an automatic? Automatic. All right. So you've got a shake in the car. Any particular speed?
1: Well, it's it's worse at a
0: higher speed. Okay. You know, uh, does it go away above a certain speed limit? No.
1: The fastest I've gone, 65, 70, I, I, It's still there, but I haven't consciously checked that.
0: Okay. So, why, why, why would this be tied to the engine? And I'm just, I'm just making an argument without making an argument with you, because I'm glad you're here. Um, you, you know, why would this be tied to the engine? Listen, the onboard computer system, OBD2, since 96, is pretty smart. All right. If there was a misfire, if there was something it didn't like about the way the engine was was running in terms of smoothness, right down to if the engine was out of balance. I've seen engines that are out of balance because something internal in the engine has fallen off, disengaged. uh, The engine doesn't run smoothly, and it'll detect a misfire, and you know it'll start flashing a check engine light. Not when there is a an injector ignition fuel delivery fault. It'll be an imbalance in the way and how smooth the crank rotates between firing events. It thinks it's a misfire, but it's not. It's a vibrational, it's a vibrational miss. I've seen that. I've fixed that. So I don't I don't think what you're experiencing is engine from the way you're describing it. What I think you're experiencing is a driveline vibration. Now I want to point out this vehicle is 17, 18 years old at this point in the game, the rubber motor mounts are pretty tired, they're 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 dry and they're hard, and if you could find a set of factory motor mounts, it would probably improve the ride quality of the way the engine transmits vibration to the frame, but I don't think that's your issue. What I would start looking right. at is, uh, four-wheel drive or two-wheel drive, Frank? Yeah,
1: two, two-wheel. Two-wheel right. drive.
0: Why can't we have a driveshaft out of balance? Why can't we have a driveshaft missing a weight? Why can't we have a drivetrain vibration. Listen, just because it did it from day one doesn't mean it's it was right out of the factory. My 2008 Chevy Silverado, if I had more yeah. time and if I drove it more. I put 35,000 miles on it in 12 years before I got rid of it last year. I probably would have spent more time trying to fix it, but that had a vibration in it at 65 miles an hour to beat the band. I knew it was the front wheels. I just couldn't do anything with it. My point is, have your mechanic, ask your mechanic, what about checking the drive shaft for straight and balance? What about using a hose clamp and uh, some wheel weights and seeing if you can um, seeing that you can change the way the vibration affects it, and we'll kind of go from there. All right, Call me back. Hey, coming up next, JCI. We're talking about batteries. Don't go way. We're back right after this. Back, Ron and Annie of the Car Doctor. You know, we we talk a lot about batteries, and it seems that batteries are such a timely, ongoing topic here on the Car Doctor, as well as out there for you driving around in your cars. And I don't think we can talk enough about a battery. It's it's just it, it's an ever-changing technology. As a matter of fact, up on YouTube, you can go out now. There is a YouTube channel, the Battery Shop. And a lot of information there. We've reached out to the, I guess, the star of the battery shop up there on YouTube, Jim Bates. He's also a technical trainer at Johnson Controls, and we're glad to have him with us today. Hey, Jim, welcome to The Car Doctor. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks. Uh, let, let's talk about, you know, the basics. Somebody out there listening, or maybe they're watching you up on YouTube, you big YouTube star, you, um, and they want to put their own battery in. What's, you know, what, what's really involved in that? Do you have a few tips or best practices?
4: Yeah, best practices, I always say, be safe. You know, research the project before you start so that you're familiar with it, you've got all the tools you need, you don't forget anything. Always remember to put on your safety glasses and your gloves when you're working on these things because, you know, they're not all that safe. They've got acid sometimes and dirt and grime and stuff. Try to follow the original equipment manufacturer's procedures as best as you can. You know, you can find those in things like service and repair manuals, and, of course, the battery shop would be a great place to start,
0: too. Um, what do you think about, you know, is, is a battery something the average individual can still do today? Yeah, sure, why not, right?
4: Well, absolutely. The only thing is that they may not know where it is. So right. That's well, why we started the battery shop. Because yeah. they hide them now, you know, they're under siege, they're in the trunk, they're underneath things in the uh, engine compartment, so they're I guess they're called the difficult installs. And so we actually started uh, filming those videos first in the battery shop, um, and then
0: kind of went from there. And that's what the YouTube the channel, the battery shop, is about, you know, instructions right. on battery replacement and so forth. Y-
4: Yep, but we also put the easier installations in there too because today's vehicles have so much electronics and computers and, you know, seat positions and things like that that you have to have their memory saved while you're replacing the battery. So we use and explain memory saving devices as well. We have a video on the different types of memory savers available. And the battery shop, too, that people can uh, can check out. And we put other stuff in there like battery science and technology and things like that, too, for people who are interested in that stuff.
0: Yeah, very educational channel. I was, I was looking at it prior to coming on here with you today. Uh, you got a lot of stuff there. Um, talk a minute about AGM batteries, Jim. AGM batteries, are, you know, the, the argument in the industry, AGM batteries are superior to regular flooded batteries. Uh, where do you stand on that?
4: Well, first of all, I think they are, uh, just because of the way they're made. Uh, the, the big thing is that AGM stands for absorbent glass mat. And what that is, it's a mat made of uh, glass microfibers. It's kind of like a, like a sponge, I guess you'd call it. It's in between the plates in the battery, and they absorb the electrolyte instead of having it sloshing around in there like on a conventional battery. And so what that means is that the electrolyte is in contact with all of the plate surface all of the time. And so now you have more uh, power out and the big thing too is that when you recharge them they can recharge faster which is really, really important in these new cars with start stop systems because, you know, when the engine stops, the battery has to run everything, you know, that's supposed to be running. And then when the car starts again, you've got to replenish that as quick as possible. That's why AGM technology is so important in these newer cars, like with start stop. And of course, they're sealed and they're maintenance free. They don't require any water, you know, that
0: some of the other ones did.
4: But being sealed, they're a lot safer, too. So I really think it's a great technology
0: all the way around. So the person that's got an AGM battery in their car. They always want to replace it with an AGM battery. There's no, there's no going backwards. It's, it's, it's not recommended. Correct.
4: That is correct. And uh, and if you don't go, uh, put the regular battery. If you don't put the AGM battery in there. Uh, it's not going to perform as well because the older technology can't keep up with the electrical demands and the fast recharge that the AGM battery can. So performance is going to suffer if you don't uh, put the, the right battery in.
0: But it's okay to take a regular flooded battery car, something older, and put an AGM in it. That's safe, and that's actually recommended because the electronics just keep increasing every year.
4: Yeah, that's an upgrade, and I think that's recommended, especially if somebody wants to add something to the vehicle that's not already there. Right. Uh, then right. they're going to need a better battery.
0: Stereo system or, all. you know, my, my gosh, there's so much electronics you can put into a car today um that yeah it's it would it's an upgrade as you said uh car owners that um, don't drive the cars very often you know let's face it they're out there um you know and and i get this question a lot where do, what do you think about battery maintainer units are they safe do they help keep the cars battery charged or do you really just need to drive the car more
4: yeah, well, a, matter, a, a modern battery maintainer is safe. You know, they're electronic. Sometimes they're computer-controlled. So get one made in the last few years, and then you can put them on everything, uh, cars, RVs, marine, off-road, you know, vehicles are going to sit there for a while. And what will happen is that uh, the, the battery gets pinged every once in a while, with these maintainers and it gets charged when it needs it and it doesn't get charged when it doesn't need it. So it's really, really safe for today's vehicle batteries.
0: Good to know. Where are batteries, you know, your batteries, Johnson Controls, and I. I people ask me this all the time, they hear me talking about AGM batteries and Johnson Controls, uh, you know, where are they used, where are they sold in the industry?
4: Well, Johnson Controls provides batteries for uh, other people, like the majority of the OEMs, like Ford, GM, Hyundai, BMW, Jaguar, just to mm-hmm. m- name a few. Uh, and also the heavy duty market, like Navistar and, and Club Car. So you could go to those dealerships and get. JCI battery, but but it doesn't say JCI on it. It's got their label on it. And we also private label batteries for the aftermarket, too, for a variety of retailers like, you know, AutoZone, Advanced Auto Parts, uh, O'Reilly's, people like that.
0: Right. Where do you make your batteries? I'm going to put you on the spot.
4: (laughs) Well, actually, we have 55 manufacturing, uh, recycling, and distribution centers around the world, globally. About 17 of them are here in the United States. And there's strategically located, you know, for shipping considerations and that sort of thing.
0: Right. So, you know, chances are you're getting an American-made battery, at least a, a quality-controlled battery from Johnson Controls, whatever you're buying.
4: Yeah, and the reason we have so many places is, you know, you, you want to make them where you sell them, because if aren't things are heavy, you are yeah. be shipping and, them all over the place, and, and, you know, and the if you do need to. Are, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Makes sense. Absolutely. Well, thanks for being honest with us about that, Jim. Last question, and then we're going to go real quick. So... You know, you read about recycling in the environment, right? Is it true that batteries are really the number one recycled product in the industry? And isn't it a problem now that a lot of batteries aren't? You know, and if you're a car owner and you install your own battery, you know, how important is it for them to recycle and, and, and so on? Because they're as they're responsible for the environment as the guy fixing the car on a regular basis.
4: Yeah. Let me shoot some statistics at at you that I know. Uh, Number one, you're correct. It is the number one recycled product in the industry, and 99% of a battery can be recycled. Um, So here's the thing. Um, Batteries are recycled at about 98% rate. That means that 98% of all the batteries we sell we get, we get back as course, so we can recycle them. And those 2% of batteries that are not being recycled, but that's about 9 million batteries globally. So, yeah, we, we want people to recycle. We want those back. You know what? We recycle about 8,000 batteries every hour of every day globally, 8,000 every hour of wow. every day.
0: Wow, staggering number. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, Indeed it is. Yeah, And, and I'm sure it's only going to go up in time.
4: Right. And you know what? If you want to learn more about recycling, uh, for your your, uh, listeners, it's recyclingmybattery.com. That's a great website, recyclingmybattery.com. It's a really good place to start. And, of course, the battery shop has got some recycling videos in it, too, that you can watch and learn more about it.
0: Recyclingmybattery.com. And uh, closing out today, Jim, so if the listeners want to go see your smiling face and learn more about batteries, the YouTube channel, again, is where?
4: it's on YouTube, it's just go go to YouTube and search for the battery shop.
0: Okay. And maybe put Jim yeah. Bates in there and look look for the one and only. So Yeah, you uh, could.
4: The the URL is actually um, you know, youtube.com slash the battery shop JCI. Perfect. That's the actual link.
0: Good deal. All right. Hey Jim, thanks for taking the time today. We appreciate it and thanks for making us all smarter on batteries. Well oh, we try and thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome so you do a great job. I'm Ron Annie and the car doctor. We'll be back right after this. Welcome the car doctor here, eight five five Let's go to our westernmost affiliate. And, uh, well, actually, I don't know, I guess they're further west. There's there's further west than that, but there's a lot of water between him and the rest of the world. Walter in Maui, Hawaii. Walter, welcome, sir. How are you today?
3: Hey, good morning, or Afternoon for you. How are you doing, Ron?
0: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So, okay. uh, what's going I'll, on out I'll there?
3: i cut yeah. right to the... I was Uh, Cut right to the chase here. Okay. Uh, A lot of times I listen to stuff on YouTube and the web just for my education on different car stuff. And I was listening to a guy the other day uh, who was an auto expert of some sort, uh, according to him anyway. Uh, And he said that if you unplug the math sensor uh, and the car keeps running, the sensor needs to be replaced. And it just didn't ring right to me. So I thought I'd run that by you both on whether to believe this guy or whether this information was not complete.
0: You know, Walter, it's a case-by-case basis. There are some Toyotas that if you're having a running issue with the vehicle, um, I've had some Toyotas where uh, they don't start, It'll and older, older mm. stuff, you know, it'll crank fine, it just won't start, and it'll, it'll flutter and start, and it'll, it, you'll feather it, it's almost like it's running out of fuel. You unplug the mass airflow sensor, the car fires right up because the computer then substitutes a a guess, a a known value, and, you know, it's it's substituting values of mass airflow readings based on other readings stored in its history. It knows when the throttle position sensor was this, when the coolant temperature was that, when, you know, engine load was this, that it says, okay, the mass airflow is putting out that, so it makes up a calculated value. But that doesn't work on everything. So to say it as a blanket statement doesn't work. All right. It's there's no there's no well do this on every car and it's going to always it's always going to be there. Now, if he's saying that and the way you're explaining it to me, think about it. You said if you unplug the mass airflow and the car continues to run good, it's a bad mass airflow. What if the car's got calculated backup capability? What if the Toyota I'm talking about was running well? You walked up to it and you've got a a a I don't know poor fuel economy issue, you unplug the mass airflow, the car continues to run. Would you condemn the mass airflow? By his standard you would, it, right?
3: By by what he said, yes, you would. Right. But to me that doesn't seem correct. No, but I don't I don't believe what it's correct, I know of the either. electronics.
0: Right. Well and you know it it, it kind of comes back to let's test it. You know the old expression mm-hmm. used to be test not guess. And, you know, one of the easiest things to do, if you, if you suspect a bad mass airflow sensor, all right, there's a couple of things you can do. You can do a visual inspection. If it's an older car and it's been sitting, if you have access to it, take the mass airflow off. Look inside. You'll see a large bore and generally usually a smaller bore with maybe one or two or three, depending upon the manufacturer, what appears to be a resistor wire hanging out in the airstream that's that's the thermistor that's the resistor depending upon who who we're talking about that's how it's it's calculating across that Um, It's actually, if you want the technical explanation, I haven't talked about this since college, but it's the Wheatstone Bridge. The Wheatstone Bridge was a calculation of uh, three resistors in a parallel series circuit, and they calculated air temperature across the fourth, and they decided how much current was going to be applied across the fourth, if I remember this right, from 43 years ago, to determine it took this much current to make, this much temperature to do this. So they said, based on that, it must be this draw on the circuit, and that's how it creates. It knows, hey, this is the amount of air coming across it. Something along those lines. I'm a little fuzzy here, Walter. It's been a while since I talked about the Wheatstone Bridge. My point is you can do a visual. Does it look like there's a spider web in there? And I've had spiders build nests in mass airflow centers and wreak havoc. And, you know, does it look like it's contaminated with anything? If it visually looks good, then you want to go take the car for a ride. Take the car for a ride. Use your OBD2 scanner. All right, go look up calculated load. Calculated load is a measurement of how well the engine is breathing air in. All right, when the car goes, the computer sees that by via mass airflow and calculates that and converts that into a calculated load pit. Generally, a good mass airflow on a healthy car from a 20-mile-an-hour kick on the open road, you put your foot through the headlight, you'll see calculated load 85 to 95%, sometimes 100 you get a bad mass Th- that's airflow. That's
3: on the acceleration end. That's
0: on the acceleration end. That's what you'll okay. see. All right, on a on a on a on a on a bad car, you'll, and you'll you know if you start to do good cars, and this is my point. If you start to do good cars, you'll know when bad cars are all right and that's a sensor that's under reporting that test works on just about everything out there i haven't seen it fail yet try that but just to blanketly unplug nah, that doesn't work for me walter um that just doesn't work do some calculated load tests call me back i'm up against the clock and we can talk about it more i'm ron and the car doctor i'm back right after this Sticking around this hour, Ron and Anini, the car doctor here. There's another hour of car Doctor, doctoring right after this. Right now, let's get over to David in Iowa. David, how can I help you today, sir?
3: Oh, hey, it sounds like Star Wars. No,
0: it could be. It could be.
3: Uh, so. I had a question for you, Ron. Have you done any research or you do anything about uh, electric motorcycles like uh, maybe from Honda or Kawasaki or even uh, Harley?
0: You know, I've read the reports on them, David. The thing I don't get about why an electric motorcycle... Is where's the fun? I mean, I get it. They're fast, and I, I and the reports I'm reading, they're just they're just lightning fast. But you know, oh, okay. to, to to me, I, you know, I don't think you'll ever see the Hell's Angels on an electric motorcycle. I, I just don't. I just where's the where's the thrill? Where's the feel of the road? Where's the where's the rump 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 as you're driving down the highway? Uh,
3: well, it's to on the radio, Ron. You know, or you is have a boombox with you. And, uh, and the sound
0: of the motorcycle. Yeah, I guess. I'm not. You know, David, the problem well, is we got to watch technology, right? And I think I think this yeah. is going on out in your neck of the woods as well as other places in the Midwest with the farmers and the tractors. And they're having issues getting the tractors fixed. And, you know, you've taken something that used to be so maintainable and repairable and now overcomplicated it. The farmers can't get their tractors fixed out in the middle of the fields. Um, it, you know, it's just we don't want to overcomplicate things. We really don't. Uh, you know, it's an issue. By the way, David, I gotta go, but let me just say this: uh, I, I understand you're part of the country. You guys have got the floods out there in uh, that part of Iowa, and our prayers are with you guys. We know you're struggling right now, and uh, good luck and keep going. God bless. I'm Ron Ani in the car doctor. Till the next time, good mechanics aren't expensive; they're priceless. See you.